Welcome to episode number 89 of the Fitness Devil Podcast. Our March to 100 continues. It's kind of crazy to think about we're getting this close. So today we've got Jose Antonio. He's the co-founder of the ISSN. We'll tell you more about who he is, where he came from. He's energetic and fun. I hope you really like him. He's a big time high protein researcher amongst other things. We talk about about that. Some of the craziest shit we hear about high protein take, including a story about a guy who had twisted organs and needed surgery. We'll tell you more. Uh, sleep restriction, some of the negative implications of sleep restriction, uh, some of the effects of creatine and brain functioning, a lot to talk about coffee, and Jose's passion for stand-up paddling and pursuits outside of exercise and the gym. Uh, hopefully you enjoy it, guys. Thanks. Stay tuned. Shut up and sit down. Hey everyone, welcome back. As with many of our guests, I got to meet uh, Jose Antonio when I traveled down to Dallas in January to see him present at an ISSN event alongside Lane Norton, Brad Schoenfeld, a bunch of other great presenters. Uh, Jose, or Joey as everybody calls you, is a PhD <laughs> in physiology. Uh, you co-founded the ISSN uh, and you're the program director and associate professor at Nova South. Eastern University, Department of Health and Human Performance. That sounds like a mouthful. So welcome <laughs> yep. to the podcast. I need an acronym for that. Hey. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it is a mouthful. Thanks, hey, thanks guys for having me on. I think, uh, you know, we can talk about all sorts of things. We did, we've done a lot of high-protein diet studies. We're actually starting uh, some studies looking at the effects of creatine on the brain. Um, we're also doing, uh, for people who, who uh, are part of contact sports like the fight sports and yeah. football, we're actually looking at some data to see if we can predict who might have, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with CTE, chronic yeah. traumatic uh, yeah. encephalopathy. Absolutely. I, 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 played yes. football. I played football so, at university, so I definitely can. <laughs> hey, you know what? If you're ever in South Florida, you got to come to the lab because we need more uh, 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 guinea pigs. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've been hitting the head. <laughs> A few times. It shows up. In most episodes, well, I think I think like even we talked about that once. I know we got we got a schedule, but Mike was talking about T. Nelson was talking about um, the CT stuff and CBD. I think he mentioned creatine. But well, actually, his pre I just came back from the Kansas City Fitness Summit, and he did a presentation on CBD oil, and that was one of the things that he dropped in there. So that's something that well, we we'll probably get Mike back and chat more about it. So I want I don't want to make this okay. about Mike's presentation. But I did want to get straight to the fun stuff, and you mentioned you're known as the high protein guy. You. I've done some research where you've made people eat terrifying amounts of protein where to say that they were uncomfortable was a bit much. So I've heard things about like four times body weight in grams per day. So what's kind of come out of that stuff? And then what are some of the generally accepted truths about high protein intake and some of the per pervasive myths that are really just nonsense? Okay. Uh, first, let me give you a little bit of background as to why we even approach doing those kinds of studies. I think I remember one as a kid, I, you know, my uncle, he was um, he, he sort of wore many hats, but he was both a bodybuilder, but he also taught karate classes. So um, I actually was fascinated with the martial arts stuff. So I remember I'd watch him work out. He'd be eating. I don't know if you guys, you guys aren't old enough to remember this, but those old amino acid tablets that Joe Weider used to sell. Um, when you open up the the tub of amino acid tablets, it would just smell like dirty socks. It was just awful. <laughs> and, 
And I asked him, you know, why do you take this stuff? And he's like, well, your body's made of protein, amino acids make protein, so this stuff must help. So, I mean, <laughs> in a very rudimentary way, he sort of figured out what to do. And, and I remember him saying, hey, you know what? <clears throat> to gain weight, I eat more rice and meat. To, to cut, I eat less rice. <laughs> and that was basically it. So I'm like, okay, well, that's interesting. So clearly he knew the value of protein. And then sort of fast forward, uh, so teaching at Nova Southeastern University, I remember approaching one of my students who, fairly large guy, and just out of curiosity, because I always saw him eating, I'm like, so how much do you eat and how much protein do you eat? And the beauty of working with physique athletes is that they're one of the few groups that actually knows exactly yeah. what they eat, which is <laughs> interesting because a lot of athletes actually don't pay attention to that, which I think it's changing now in the performance sports, but in the in the physique sports, they could pretty much rattle off what they ate. And I remember he's sort of going through his Rolodex in his head. He's like, well, I eat this. And, and what's interesting, he tends to eat the same thing over and over, which is really what most physique people do. And when he told me the number of grams, I sort of I did sort of the mental calculation uh, in my head, grams per kilo or grams per pound. And I said, wow, you're actually eating what would be considered a very high protein diet. It was about three grams per kilo. Yeah. Um, and he says, yeah, that's just what I do. I mean, I sort of eat all day, so I guess it's not that hard to achieve three grams per kilo. So it got me thinking. I'm like, wow, um, this guy's pretty healthy. I mean, I mean, visually he's healthy. I mean, but when you're between 18 and 21, everyone's healthy. So um, would there be any harm if we actually followed guys and or girls, if they're willing, to consume a high-protein diet, whether it's for eight weeks and eventually we did a one-year study? And <laughs> here's the thing. In the back of my mind is a – as someone who's worked in sports science for a long time, to be honest, I thought it was kind of – it was one of those studies where I'm like, why am I doing this? Because I know there's no harm. This is me talking to myself. I'd be driving my car. I'm like, why the hell am I doing this? Of course it's not going to harm you. It's just food. you know. But the problem is 99% of both professionals in our field and probably the general public, they believe that for some reason of, of the three macronutrients, carbs, protein, fat, protein is the evil macronutrient. So I thought, OK, we're going to do the study, just give people gobs of protein and we'll just see what happens. And my guess is nothing will happen because nothing should happen. You're just, in this case, consuming just whey protein. So it wasn't like I said, you got to eat more chicken or more beef. Yeah. The only way they could achieve this is really through shakes. Otherwise, they in fact, some of the guys after the study, they said, if I did this through just eating food like beef, chicken, pork, or whatever, they said I'd be eating all day. And be, to be honest, I wouldn't want to do it. It's just it's just impossible. Sure. So they had to do it via shake. So the initial study we did, which I think you alluded to, was uh, 2 grams per pound or 4.4 grams per kilo, which is ungodly high. Um, we probably had 25 to 30 percent of our subjects drop out because they basically <laughs> said, I can't eat this much. It's, Screw you guys. I don't want it. Yeah. <laughs> And you know what's interesting? A lot of them, their, their appetites disappeared from oh, yeah. literally forcing themselves to drink whey protein shakes. Oh, my God. Um, and so after the eight-week study, 4.4 grams per kilo, <laughs> nothing happened, which <laughs> is sort of what you expect. It's like no, there was no harm. We didn't change their training, so there was no – the goal wasn't to increase lean mass or decrease fat mass. It was just let's just see what happens. So. We followed it up with a, another study where we dropped the protein intake to about 3.4 grams per kilo. And the reason we dropped it is because the 4.4 grams per kilo, it was just too difficult for people to comply with. So we're like, okay, maybe three to three and a half is more reasonable. But we also, excuse me, also changed the training. So it followed more of what I call a traditional bodybuilding training where you do body parts, split routine, et cetera, et cetera. Um, 
So we did that. And after eight weeks of that, we actually found that they uh, not only gained, uh, gained lean body mass, but it was no different than the control group. But the big thing is they actually lost fat mass, which mm -hmm. um, was kind of surprising. So a lot of our subjects, they would mention how they were constantly hot. They were constantly sweating. <laughs> so clearly there was a therm, you know, thermic effect. And I hate to say, but some of the guys, especially, they kind of just smelled like sweat when they walked yeah, into the lab. And it's like they walk in. I'm like, my God, you guys got the protein sweats. <laughs> well, did you guys equate for calories? What's that? Did you equate for calories oh, with the control group? Actually, actually. We, we didn't. I wanted the protein group to actually eat more calories. Yeah. So that's, that's what was interesting. The control group actually ate less calories than the high protein group, yet the high protein group lost more fat mass. But they both gained an equal amount of lean body mass, which, and I think that's where it's kind of, that's the cool part is you can eat more protein calories and still lose fat mass, which is, which is fascinating. That's not really that surprising because thermic effect of protein intakes, what, about a third of the calorie value, whereas... It's a lot. Yeah, whereas like fats, I believe it's like zero to two percent and carbs maybe, what, two to four, three to six percent of its value, something in that range? Yeah, I mean, fat, not much. Carbs, I've seen data five to eight percent, maybe. Uh, but even then, if you're eating a lot of simple sugars, I doubt the thermic effect yeah. is much at all. In fact... We have uh, some of our original data. We looked at the thermic effect of just a, a protein shake. And uh, in this case, it was a combination of whey protein and casein. And actually, we were able to find the thermic effect as high as 40%. <laughs> That's uh, incredible. So it's, it's pretty high. It's pretty high. Well, and that would have been like it, a lot of this stuff is kind of coming out now where we're like, oh, yeah, obviously. But like at that time, you guys had no clue what the fuck was going to happen. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like we, had, you know, that's what's that was that's what's interesting about. It. We actually had no idea. I, I, from a health, from a safety standpoint, I thought, well, this is a waste. Of course, it's not going to be harmful. Yeah. The body comp stuff was kind of interesting because the first study where we just told them eat a lot of protein, they didn't, they didn't gain fat, they didn't gain muscle, they nothing. It was almost like if you don't change the way you train and just eat a lot of protein, just nothing happens. I mean, it's just you just burn the protein away, but you're not going to gain. And particularly when it comes to lean body mass, a lot of that is a function of how you train, not necessarily how you eat. Of course, how you eat is important, but if you don't change the way you train, there's no, there's no stimulus to increase skeletal muscle mass. And I guess one of the other things you guys are probably looking for too is, you know, if there's any harm from high protein diets, everybody's heard that the, the myths about uh, kidney damage or even liver uh, issues. So none of that stuff showed up, right? None of it showed up. In fact, we did a follow-up study for one year, and we took—we actually took the the most well-trained bodybuilders, and these were they were these were all male. And after one year, nothing. I mean, literally, it was. In fact, if you didn't know they were bodybuilders and you just thought these are just guys off the street, and if you looked at their blood work, you're like, "Wow, these guys are these guys are super healthy." There's absolutely nothing wrong with them. I suppose here's an interesting. Um, so that oh, I was going to say another interesting thing too. I mean, like. Did you guys uh, segregate it based on drug-free versus people who, uh, or you just didn't ask about their, their drug use status? You know, I, I actually didn't ask, but if you're around these guys, or physique guys long enough, you kind of know who's on the yeah. juice and who's not. And I think these guys were all natural except maybe one. And, mm -hmm. and actually, even his blood work was fine. So, <laughs> That's kind I of the like, point well, I was getting to, I guess right? it doesn't matter. So, you know, if their blood work is coming back normal and maybe there's some use there uh, and that stuff's present, then I, I don't think the protein is doing anything, basically. So, Yeah. 
Yeah. Cool. Well, this actually like leads, and I know we're kind of going to hammer protein a little bit, but you kind of shared an article about, about a man who needed surgery for quote unquote twisted organs caused by high protein diet. So I guess this leads us to what are some of the craziest things you've encountered about high protein intake and what drives these beliefs, whether it militant veganism or just some other pseudoscientific stuff? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because if I go back to my undergrad and, and I'm, I'm I'm fairly old. So I went, I did my undergrad in the 1980s. So I remember as a junior taking my first nutrition class, the professor saying, you know, she said, you know, if you eat a lot of protein, she didn't even define what a lot of protein was, but what, whatever a lot is to her, it's bad for you. It's bad for your kidney. <laughs> so that was the first time I heard it. And that's a long time ago. And we still keep hearing oh, yeah. this sort of drumbeat of too much protein does X, Y, and Z. And and that article you allude to, <laughs> I posted on Twitter, has to be one of the stupidest articles I've ever read in my life, that somehow eating protein twisted your organs. I mean, how does that even happen? I mean, but someone wrote it, which makes it even funnier. So there was a journalist, I guess, stupid enough to actually believe it. Um, that, I, In fact, that would probably top, top in terms of the most, you know, sort of ridiculous things I've heard about protein, but it's... It's almost always the, the, the protein kidney issue. That's what I hear constantly. Yeah. And also, this one's a little tricky, but if you just eat too much, if you just eat excess protein, whatever excess is defined at, it'll just, it'll just be converted to fat when, in fact, it's very hard to get fat. If all you're doing is eating just more protein, it is very hard to get fat. If you're eating, you know, you know chocolate chip cookies, it's pretty easy to get fat. So <laughs> um, the getting fat issue, the kidney issue, the twisted organ issue. Um, it's, it's almost like it has a life unto itself and it's, and it's just bizarre. And, and the thing is, there are also clinicians who seem to promote that, you know, medical doctors and whatnot, for whatever reason, they still promote this belief. So it's not just the general public. Yeah. It's actually sort of individuals who are what we would call educated, but not within our field. So plus it's hard. Um, like even if you just did it in shakes, like you say, people are getting sick of shakes. Like if I do that, like eh, let's just say, like that's six, seven shakes. That's like four uh, liters of water. Like that's most people don't get that much water in a day. Is this just dogma that keeps getting passed down with without these people going and learning about what's really true? Yeah, I think I think that's basically it. It is it is dogma, and for whatever reason, it just won't go away. It's it's. I mean, I sort of liken the protein is bad for you, where people sort of there are people who choose their diet camps you know keto is the best veganism is the best uh paleo whatever the hell paleo is is the best um all carbs are evil you know it's everyone has their 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 sort of pet diet and it's it's like they don't veer out of that lane and when in fact what they should do is focus on basic principles of you know eating for whatever your sport is whether it's bodybuilding or for performance sport eat for the sport not because it fits some preconceived notion about what you should or should not eat. So, but it's, yeah, it's, it's pure dogma and it's just, and it's just weird. And I even had the experience, um, I guess I can't say the university cause then everyone would know who it is, but anyways, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I've, I've taught at basically three different universities and at one of the universities <laughs> I submitted an IRB that had to do with protein and the most critical response actually came from a, it was a physician. And he says, you have to put in the IRB that protein causes harm. <laughs> and I said, no, because this, I only work with subjects who are 
who are basically young and exercise trained, uh, you know, 18 to 30 year olds who work out. Um, so I said, in this population, there's never been any evidence that eating a lot of protein is harmful. So he goes through his Rolodex and, so, and he sends me articles, <laughs> not realizing that you're sending me articles about people who have kidney issues. These are people who are sick. They're diabetic. They're overweight. And I said, you cannot apply this population to a group of 18 to 30 year olds who exercise and are lean and fit. Um, that didn't convince him, though. That did. I was like, oh, my God. So I gave him this analogy. I said, OK, let's uh, let's take cardiovascular exercise cardio. Uh, it's generally agreed that it's good for your heart. But let's take this scenario. Let's say you present in the emergency room because you just had a heart attack. <laughs> You're laying in bed. Let's say I get you up the next day and I say, you know what? We're doing cardio. So is cardio deadly? Will it kill you? Well, yeah, for that Absolutely. situation, you just had a heart attack. Now, will protein kill you? Well, you know what? If, you're, if your kidneys don't work and you're in dialysis and you're diabetic and you're overweight, the last thing I worry about is getting a protein shake. So, but that still didn't change his mind. <laughs> still didn't change his mind. I had to put in the consent form that, <laughs> that there was a risk, albeit a small risk, a risk of harm to the kidneys when you consume a lot of protein. Oh, that must so. have killed you. Oh, my God. I, I, I'd say I was losing my hair, but I ain't got no hair. So I was like, that was how you lost it. Because <laughs> like, you lied. We've got a, I, I, a lot of the stuff on your Twitter. And, and got, by the way, guys, like we always tell people, if we're going to bring a guest on here, they're worth following. So uh, Joey's Twitter is actually the place where a lot of his cool stuff goes on. So like, just follow that shit. You get some glorious stuff. So another study, this time it was a legit one. You pointed to... Uh, how a week of sleep restriction was related to a reduction in daytime testosterone levels in healthy young men. So what's going on there? And what's some of the other stuff with poor sleep? You know, this is an interesting area of research because, um, I mean, it, it, it's, it's sort of common sense to a lot of us that part of recovering from exercise is getting rest and part of getting rest is getting enough sleep. Um, yeah, that study that you mentioned, certainly if you don't get enough sleep, maybe plasma testosterone stops, starts to drop. If you're chronically underslept, and it, here's the thing, it's hard to do a study where you force people to not sleep for a long time. So a lot of this is observational stuff. Like I couldn't say, hey, be in our eight-week study, and guess what? For eight weeks, you get to sleep four hours a day. You're like, ah, screw you. I'm not doing that study. So we look, at these, <laughs> yeah, we, we look at these studies that look at association. So we see that association. The other association you see is like you tend to see higher injury rates in, in athletes that don't sleep as much. Um, Another association you see, and this one was interesting, um, I played around with high-protein diets and sleep because I had seen data in obese people, and this is a perfect example of how one population can't be applied to another. So there's actually data showing that in obese or overweight individuals that if they went on a higher-protein diet, they actually slept better. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. So I decided to do it in people who worked out and were in shape. And I found nothing. <laughs> nothing happened. I was like, oh, well, it helps obese people. It doesn't help, you know, normal fit people. But what was interesting about that study was that regardless of how much protein you ate, most people who exercise don't get much sleep. And we're talking the average, and I don't know how much you guys get, but these people on average got about six point six and a half hours of sleep um, a night. So we're always told you need eight hours, but I'm like, nobody is getting eight hours sleep. I don't know a single person at least in these sleep studies do you get eight hours of sleep i actually <clears throat> sorry I my voice i actually <laughs> lay down and i set myself to go to bed religiously 
eight hours before I need to get up. And I'm pretty militant about it. Uh, that I wake up a few times a night. It doesn't mean that it's like it's flawless. But yeah, I actually do set out and I absolutely make sure I get eight hours sleep a night. I really feel like hell if I get less. Okay, so if you're if you wake up and you notice the clock, you have two hours before that eight hours. You just force yourself to stay there. Yep, and I fall right back asleep. Oh, okay, see, I wake up at the sun. I just wake up when I wake up. I don't have anything in the mornings, so I'm I'm one of those lucky people. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I wake up. I mean, for some reason, I wake up at five a.m. every yeah. morning, and it's kind of annoying to be honest. That's why you have no hair, man. We should oh. study that one. <laughs> I, I would stay in bed for twelve hours if I didn't have a purpose to get up. I and mean, that's why I. Like, I know that people say you should have a set time, but sometimes my first appointment or like today, this is the first thing we had. So I got to sleep in a little later. So I'll stay up a little longer, enjoy my evening a bit more. Because if I go to bed at the same time and I know that, well, I'm going to try to get up a couple hours early, I won't fucking do it. Yeah. And then I get 10 hours sleep. And that's just wow. wasting time. You're like an anomaly. I think so. Like I'm, yeah, I'm like I'm, right where you said six and a half to eight, usually on the money. It's the yeah. same time every day. Like eight? I eight, wish 13? I could sleep eight hours. I remember in college, I could just pass out and just wake up like 10 hours later. <laughs> oh. That's alcohol. No more. That's el- <laughs> they don't think they have studies on that one. <laughs> the, the post-party <laughs> sleep coma. <laughs> exactly. Um, actually, this kind of le- just because we're trying to push it, you got somewhere to be. So I want to like, we're talking about sleep. Let's talk about coffee. Like we're just going to do fast lightning rounds because ah, you're, you're smart, coffee. dude. Yeah, and you link a lot of research about coffee. So we'll start there. Can you clear up some facts from fiction regarding coffee? If only for us personally because we – I love, I love coffee. coffee. <laughs> yeah. That's why you bring people on. Well, I will, I will disclose that from about two, 2003 to 2009, I actually owned a coffee company. What? Um, yeah, a lot of people don't realize. I did not know that. Actually, most of, my, most of my professional career has actually been in industry. So – for a period, of, I was actually the science editor of Muscle and Fitness back in the early 90s. I, um, I owned a coffee company in the 2000s. I've start, and I started ISSN. I, co- I co-founded it. So I've dabbled a lot in industry. And we founded, me and two finance guys, we founded a company called Javolution. We had a coffee called JavaFit. And basically, it was coffee where I added dietary supplements to it. So, yeah, cool. But anyway, so being in the coffee business, I read up on as much as yeah. I could on coffee. And What's interesting about it is if you look at the, the observational data on it, it's, it seems that you could drink a lot of coffee, and it actually will decrease the risk of most cancers. And again, this is a, these are association studies because, you know, people say, well, you, there's no randomized clinical, uh, you know, randomized clinical or controlled trial on it. And I said because you could never do that kind of study. Imagine if someone said, hey, we're going to pay you a thousand bucks to be in a study and you will. You might be randomly assigned to the group that doesn't drink coffee yeah, for a year. <laughs> you like, I don't know. I'm thinking, how much do I? Would I need to be paid to not drink coffee for a year? Ten like, grand. Wow. Ten grand. <laughs> I would do it for ten grand. Would you really? Uh, that it would be hard though. For, yeah, for sure. What would you drink then? Yeah. What would you drink? I would. I fuck tea. I would find something with caffeine, so it wouldn't matter. I would find something. You gotta make sure people aren't like fucking off on the side and sneaking in coffee, right? Just right. Next, next thing you know, you're like, you know, find out that they're popping caffeine. Tabs, I was just saying, ca- caffeine, ephedrine, and Advil. That's what I would yeah. do. Yeah, someone checked up on ephedrine the whole time. Or, or Adderall you know and Godlin over there. Is, there is something about coffee itself versus just the caffeine that seems really healthy, and it yeah. might be. 
Coffee actually is one of the, in fact, it's probably the most common food that we consume that has polyphenols, which, yeah. you know, tend to be good for your health. Um, so there's other stuff in coffee because the data on tea, which again has caffeine, isn't as, isn't as robust as the data on coffee. So, you know, for a myriad of reasons, coffee, and coffee can even be used as an ergogenic aid. If you take it pre-workout, it acts pretty much just as well as a pure caffeine tablet. Um, and in fact, the original data on caffeine was done in the late 70s. Uh, a scientist named David Costell, he compared caffeinated coffee to decaf coffee. Even though the study was termed a caffeine study, it was really coffee with, you know, compared to, excuse me, decaf. And he found that regular caffeinated coffee actually helped exercise performance. So, I mean, coffee, I always tell my students, you know, I say, hey, how many of you drink coffee? And like, you know, half the class raises their hand. And I said, do you realize the half of you that don't drink coffee, you're missing out on probably the healthiest beverage you can consume. There are benefits Hell to yeah. coffee that you don't see in water. There's no data saying, well, if I drink a lot of water, you know, the, the, the risk of cancer goes down. It's like there's no data on that, but there's data on coffee. That's cool. Actually, this is one I already know the answer, but people, like since we're talking about myths, if you drink coffee, you basically dehydrate yourself, thus it's bad. Ah, that's a load of baloney. Um, and here's the thing. People forget that. What are the beverages we sit around and just sort of sip on all day? Well, I guess for some people it's water. But really for the mass, vast majority of people, it's coffee. You yeah. just sort of drink it mindlessly. So you're Part of the, the diuresis or the increased urine output is you're drinking liquid. Now, mm -hmm. other than I only drink coffee in the morning, but the rest of the day, I, I actually really don't drink much. I, may, I mean, I, I might not have water with a meal, but I don't, I'm not someone who constantly sips stuff. So I imagine if you're always at the office drinking coffee, yeah, you're going to be peeing all day because guess what? You're drinking liquid all day. The way I, I've come to understand it is that caffeine itself <clears throat> in isolation is a mild diuretic but the fluid volume of coffee offsets that diuretic effect, pretty much right. negating it. But like you said, because you're drinking so much fucking coffee, you're peeing more, it creates the illusion that, oh, I'm peeing, right? So Right, and, and think, of, think of this. If, if caffeine was like the diuretic that everyone said it would be, imagine consuming caffeine in pre-race pre or pre-sporting uh, event in South Florida where it is hot all year. You would dehydrate yourself like crazy. You'd be dying. But clearly it doesn't happen because people do consume caffeine or some caffeinated beverage pre-workout in South Florida pretty much all the time. So um, just logically, that never made sense. Like, like <laughs> that people still argue about that. Like, it's like the protein hurts your kidneys. Like, well, if you drink coffee, like you're going to be dehydrated. It's like, listen, I drink a liter. Like, I, I, that's think, more than I think in our world, we know the difference of these myths. And I think most of the listeners are going to be like, oh, this shit is like low hanging fruit bullshit myths. And that's, that's true in our world. These myths still pervade in the populations that we all deal with. So it's still really important to, to talk about them and not take for granted the simple stuff. People believe yeah. all kinds of ridiculous shit. I mean, people still believe, like you said, that we talk about high protein is bad. How many people are we dealing with who think that carbs make you fat? Insulin carbs. I mean, there was just an article today. That's, that stuff is still really popular. All of these yep, crazy yep. fad diets are largely predicated on some sort of ludicrous belief system that we all know is nonsense, but we come into contact with people every single day who actually believe this stuff. Fuck, I mean, we try not to get into, into crap like this, but there are people out there who believe that vaccines are bad for you, right? There are militant people 
protesting with he signs <laughs> because they think the vaccines vaccines are fucking awful. Meanwhile, I got measles everywhere all of a sudden. So Spencer had a, Spencer had a good meme. What the hell was it? I, I'm not even sure. I just saw his uh, his Game of Thrones memes. So yeah, you know Dr. Spencer Nadolsky, I presume. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You, I figured you'd be familiar. You had a good vaccine well, one. But... Before I forget, actually, I was also sitting down and I was hanging out talking to Dr. Sue Kleiner, so she, she can't see this weekend. So she said hi. I told her that you were coming on. Hi. So And, uh, you know, so she, if I'm not mistaken, she was one of the co-founders of ISSN. Is that correct? Yep. Okay. Yeah, cool. she was part of the original group of five of us that, that came up with the idea back in, wow, 2002. It was actually at a American College of Sports meeting in San Francisco. So, um I remember when we first came up with the idea, I was thinking to myself, well, who's going to do all this work? <laughs> well, <laughs> like, holy geez. And it's like, I have the fucking book. Like, it's it's insane. Like, anyone who actually wants to, like, learn about this stuff, it's not just, like, petty stuff. It's, like, a deep... It's deep. <laughs> I want to also, while we got the chance to, because we'll run out of time at some point, is you guys had your national conference. I was at a regional one in Dallas, and, and that was yeah. unbelievable. Sohee Lee asked me to come down and got to meet Lane, because I've always followed Lane and, and, and followed you and, and Brad Schoenfeld. So, like, the three of you guys was like Christmas for me. So, now you guys are having a big one in June in Las Vegas. So, I don't know if you want to shout that one out and just let people know about it. Yeah, actually, our 16th annual conference, it's uh, June 13 to 15, so it's in a little a little bit over a month. We're in Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, we're at the Tropicana. It's a uh, Hilton, Hilton property. In fact, this might be the, our last, actually it will be, this will be our last conference that we're having on the western side of the United States. Our national meeting from now on, starting in 2010, 2020 will always be in Florida. Why? Because I like Florida. I like the beach. So that's that. So if you guys if you guys don't go to this one in Vegas, um, in in 2020 we're at Daytona Beach, Florida, which is a really nice beach. I mean, even if you don't go to the conference, go to the beach. It's really beautiful. If you can surf, you can try and surf or paddle or whatever. So, um, this hey, you know what? <laughs> this is perfect. That's basically yeah. the last half. We're just going to talk about surfing paddling. Yeah. So <clears throat> another thing that you're really well known for, of course, is your stand up paddling. So being on the water is a big passion of yours. And we, we encounter this stuff all the time. And too many people in our industry are just suck at prioritizing time away from our work. Uh, Work-life balance just isn't a real thing. How do you set those boundaries and set aside time for your paddling, the non-work you know activity? That, yeah, that's a great question. And you know what's interesting is because um, I run into a lot of some of my colleagues at, at different universities who, for whatever reason, don't – I mean, they don't make time to work out, even though at one point in their life they were crazy, but, you know, they were gym rats and – and, you know, I get busy, the kids make, you know, kids are in the way, et cetera, et cetera. But what's interesting, like my wife and I sort of do the same thing. The first thing we do when we wake up is, well, I drink coffee and she drinks energy drinks, but <laughs> I go paddle and she goes to the gym. And it's just, it's been a habit that's been ingrained since I was, I think, 13 years old. I learned it from my uncle who, he was the, uh, I alluded to him earlier, he was a bodybuilder slash karate instructor. And and he was super dedicated that regardless, unless he was super sick, he would always train. He would always train. So I remember watching him like, wow, he works out all the time. So for me, I, I sort of block out pretty much five days out of the week, early morning for just me to go to the water. And, uh, and you know, you guys are in Canada. Is that correct? Yeah, well, I have a paddleboard. I have a blow up one. Um, it's not as easy. I can't wake up and go. So we go to like a lake 45 minutes out, but okay. our dog and I go, so, it's, it's awesome. I bet you the water's cold as crap. Oh yeah, yeah. We're up in. We're <laughs> it's up colder in, than Florida. We're Dude. up in Edmonton, Alberta, so we're nowhere like, near the ocean. Like you can't paddle the right only, now. The only person in our industry who is 
semi-famous from Edmonton's Dean Somerset. He's up here with us. And yeah, so okay. we are not near water. We're not paddling right now. No. Yeah, it's uh, like here because it's warm all year round, you can fall in the water and actually the water is really refreshing. So, <laughs> you know, people say, you know, I'm a hardcore paddler, but really I'm hardcore. I love hot weather and I happen to paddle and I like, yeah. like I have, I, I know people who are hardcore, meaning they train in Canada all year in paddling and it's like what? i see their videos i'm like holy crap they're dressed the only thing exposed is their oh, eyeballs yeah. or something yeah you like mean... holy you, you're paddling and it's like what 10 degrees celsius or fahrenheit or whatever and i'm like i couldn't do that i can't do that that's i don't i'm allergic to cold my dad yeah so you wouldn't like paddling here <laughs> my dad is in newfoundland and for many years um he i guess this is late late 40s he'd actually uh, gotten cancer and so he, he came through it. That wasn't fun, but I mean, you know, it was one of the cancers that's very beautiful. And so he got really passionate about sea kayaking was his thing. So he did a bunch oh. of coursework and became fantastic at it. <clears throat> did uh, sea kayaking tours uh, through the, the, I think the spring, summer and kind of fall months. But sometimes even you get icebergs coming down. So you know, he's been out wow. sea kayaking and you get icebergs floating down across uh, Newfoundland. So he loved that stuff, and he did that stuff for years. You can get crazy. I've been kind of if you're into sports, I'm not a water guy. So. If you go to so we have Canmore and Banff and stuff, and kayaking is pretty crazy. Like you, the sport kayaks are freaking nuts. Like yeah. These, oh yeah. Like, they're doing rolls, and they're they're not even like I want to say they're like five feet long. Like they're not. It's crazy. Yeah, those those kayaks they're built for more more for maneuverability yeah. than doing long distance kayaking. Mm. So. Like in in stand-up paddling, you have boards. The typical boards you rent tend to be short and wide yeah. so that people who aren't used to it, it's somewhat stable. And then the race boards tend to be very long and narrow, so you sacrifice stability for speed. And in south in, in the so southeastern coast of the United States and California and, and also Hawaii, there are large paddling communities, and mainly because of the weather and the ocean. Yeah. But uh, some of these guys, I mean, they they fly on these boards. I mean, it's amazing how fast you could be on a 14-foot board. So, but yeah, I do that. To me, you know, I look at exercise, whether it was paddling and before I used to love going to the gym. I, to be honest, I don't I don't think I've gone to inside a gym. And God, it's been years because I'm always outside. Um, but to me, a lot of it is, and I don't know if you, you treat exercise this way, but it's a lot of it is a mental break. And my honestly, my head just feels better after I'm done. And so regardless of how you think your body might look or feel, my head feels a lot better. And, and days when I can't train or I have to take the day off, my head just doesn't feel the, the same. And, and I know there's data showing that people who exercise or exercise itself affects uh, neurogenesis. It affects executive function. It affects cognition. Uh, we're not sure how it does it. And we know there might be slight differences in cardiovascular versus resistance training. But we know all exercise is good for their brain. And and that's actually one of the areas of research that I'm going to start delving into um, in the near future. I've got at least a couple of clients. They like to run. And my attitude towards running is if they enjoy it, go do it. I mean, I won't tell people to go running as a cardiovascular modality to drop weight, right, if they have to do conditioning right. work. But they like it. And they actually almost have a little bit of a, a habit of doing it more than the resistance training, which I, I think for the goals is still more important because it elevates their mood so much. They just feel really good. It clears their head. Uh, yep. And so that is what they like doing. I, you know what? I, I want to jump back because you did mention uh, creatine and uh, brain health and stuff. I want to dabble into that a little bit. That's something we can always bring you back and if it's a topic we can elaborate on. But was there any little hot points about that that seems to be popping out in the research? 
Yeah, if you look at some of the and some of this data is fairly, I mean, sort of old. We're talking, you know, a decade or less. But um, the best data, oddly enough, on creatine is when you give it to vegans. And you know, vegans, I don't know if they take creatine, <laughs> but if they decided to, it would help memory. I mean, it actually helps working memory in, in people who don't who are who are vegan. Why? Because they don't eat meat, and yeah. meat is the best source of creatine. So they get helped quite a bit. Um, some data on older people that might help, you know, cognition and executive function. So we know, I, I don't want to call them the most at risk group, but groups where they're not young, fit people. These are older people. These are vegans. Creatine definitely helps the head. So we're actually going to do a study looking at younger people. So it's, let's say 18 to 30. Uh, and I'm going to do a study on people who train, and I'm going to work with a group of mm -hmm. psychologists. They're going to look at untrained people, which, oddly enough, I might find more interesting. So let's deal with the untrained people. So these are basically college students who don't work out. So they're young and healthy, otherwise healthy. Will creatine affect their memory, uh, what we call working memory or basic brain function? If we find that it does, let's imagine this. So we're dealing with young people who are otherwise healthy. That's a gigantic population. Yeah. In fact, most people don't work out. So That's most imagine people. if you find that the, this dietary supplement helps brain function. That's the selling point. I mean, forget the small. I mean, there's really people who train are such a tiny minority, both in your in Canada and the U.S. Um, that if we find it helps untrained people, it's like wow, that's that's kind of cool that it would help you know uh, working memory. And then we're going to do a similar study on trained people to see how it if it might help. But I think in trained people, because they tend to eat higher protein diets, if if anything, it may not have an effect because they're already getting quite a bit of creatine. That makes a lot of sense. And I was going to suspect as much there. This could be huge for, well, obviously supplement companies, because if you can suddenly turn around and market creatine to the masses, you've broken out of a very small niche. Now, I guess this also probably means creatine monohydrate because from everything I've been able to gather, yes. all of these specialized blends and formulas of creatine that are supposed to help delivery better, absorption better, it's all, it's all bullshit. I think Purple K is actually it, is totally debunked. But it, the other it's just awesome because right. I think back to my when I bought all the creatines as an 18-year-old kid, I got to get the Esther one, the Purple K, blah. Wait, wait, wait. What's the purple? Purple K is, is crealkaline. Crealkaline. Sorry. That, oh, that's, okay. That, that was the first one that was out, right? It was yeah. purple K. That one, I think, has yeah. been thoroughly debunked as not actually working at all. And you get these other ones. Uh, I can't even remember what they're called. But there's no evidence to support that any of the other ones are superior to straight old creatine monohydrate, which is cheap as hell. It's cheap. And here's the thing. If you consume creatine monohydrate, then you get this dramatic elevation in the amount of creatine and skeletal muscle, I mean, what more do you want? I mean, skeletal muscle creatine goes through the roof. Even if you just do that, you know, the seven-day loading phase or five- to seven-day loading phase, skeletal muscle creatine goes up up to 40%. So there's nothing else that will do that, whether it's ethyl ester or creatine, you know, pyruvate or whatever, uh, creatine nitrate. It, it, it's almost like <laughs> you've been driving a Ferrari and someone says, well, I got a car that's just as fast. Well, I don't know if it's just as fast. Um, and we already have the Ferrari, so what's the point? You know, so. <laughs> well, creatine kills you. Well, that's the other thing. <laughs> People still yeah. have these beliefs oh. that creatine's bad for your liver, creatine's bad for your kidneys, a lot of the same bullshit as protein. You're going to have to write that in the study. There's, you, um, <laughs> I, you're right. Oh, my God. I don't think I've ever heard of evidence. I think creatine, as far as 
supplements go. I think it's probably the most studied out of all of them. Maybe that in protein. And there just simply is nothing wrong with it. There just is no downside that's ever seemed to It kills football players because they run in the heat and don't drink water. Uh, that's a federal. Actually, <clears throat> no, it's funny you bring that up. Actually, the few NFL players or ex-NFL players I run in, because a lot of them will come into our yeah. lab, is I've always told them, you're in a contact sport where your heads are constantly getting hit. If anything, you guys should be on creatine just to protect your brain. Mm-hmm. You know, because there is... There is data uh, looking at traumatic brain injury in kids showing that when they're administered creatine, they actually recover better from traumatic brain injury or TBI. So we think, you know, if you're in a contact sport, whether it's a fight sports or some sort of football or rugby or something Mm -hmm. where heads might be colliding, you should be on creatine, on omega-3 fatty acids, uh, maybe zinc. I mean, there might be some data on zinc, um, but definitely the omega-3 fatty acids and creatine are going to protect your brain. And, And so... You know, that alone, but even that, I tell my students, you know, the reason I, t- I honestly, I, I've been taking creatine like three grams a day for like forever, like 20 years or whatever. And I tell them it has nothing to do with skeletal muscle. I think it's just good for my head. So I take it for my head. Because um, I, I, for me to gain lean mass, the, it's an, an, I don't know about you guys, but for me, it's an inordinate amount of work. It's like, <laughs> yeah. and I don't do it anymore. It's just, it's just work. It's I remember in grad school, just to tell you a quick story when I was doing my PhD. As a grad student, I had a lot of time sort of do stupid stuff. So I, I did the self-experiment. I'm like, I wonder how much just weight I could gain if I could just eat constantly for about three months. So I literally, my goal was this, to never be hungry for three months. And so I would just eat anything, rice, bananas, hamburgers. Just I would be, I would stuff my face, and I did it every day for three months. Um, and I went from about 165 pounds to not quite 200 pounds. Okay, so you did uh, well. What's that? You did well. Well, I, I went from a somewhat lean person to kind of a chunky person. I was like, okay, I'm a lot stronger. I can't move very well, and I feel really fat. <laughs> but what I thought, what I think was the most interesting thing is uh, it was a lot of work. I mean, I'm oh, yeah. like, who can eat like this all the time? I just can't eat like this. So. But so that's yeah, that was my phase of let's see how much weight I could gain just for fun. So I, I try to do it generally, and it just even doing it lean, like just with regulation alone. Like if I eat more, I do more, so I have to eat more than that. And like you said, it's a lot of work. So and then to do it lean, I'm gaining one pound every month. Like it's just so, and I have to keep my volume. It's just fucking nuts. Well, it's it, not it easy. Is. To answer your question about like how hard I find it. You've met me. <laughs> Jesus. But, but even that's been years. Like, that's what we're talking. Like. Yeah, it's been years, but still, like, uh, fuck, never mind. Um, before, <laughs> we're running out of time, so I really wanted to make sure that uh, we really quickly asked you two things. One, we want to get a, a, a book you've been reading. You seem like the sort of guy who probably reads something, maybe more than just textbooks. Do you have anything that uh, you're like, nah, this book was sensational. Everybody should read it. Well... <laughs> Oddly enough, most of what I read isn't science. I read, yeah. I don't know if you guys ever read, I read a lot of fiction and most of it is what I will call in the sort of the thriller spy genre. Cool. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with a uh, an author, Vince Flynn, and yeah. another one, Lee Child. In fact, um, I've heard of Lee Child. You might, yeah, Lee Child, he does the Jack Reacher series. Okay, and in right. fact, he, there's Rachel. a couple movies. Tom Cruise is Jack Reacher. That still hurts my brain. Oh, Re- hey, thank Re- you. Reacher hey. is six foot five in the book. How did that happen? Tom Cruise is four foot three or something like yes. that. So fuck. In fact, and I can't I take so him excited. seriously. Fuck. Oh, 
You know what? Go it, back and uh, here. Go, but he, they make him look tall in the movie. I, uh, like, uh, taller than he but is. We, like, but we know he's Tom Cruise. Okay, Tom Cruise, like Top Gun, pre-Oprah Couch Jumping, is a pretty cool dude. He makes well, good movies, yes. man. Uh, uh, I, 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 I can't do any more Tom Cruise. Name he, a bad movie. What? Name a bad Tom Cruise movie. I, I just I won't watch him anymore because I see him jumping on Oprah's couch, shaking her, doing this weird fucking shit, all that Scientology <laughs> stuff. And I was like, this person is probably an alien. No, he, so He wasn't no. on Creatine. <laughs> well, no, but it's it's funny you say that. The only people, like, people like the Reacher movies, but when I ask, have you read the books? They're like, well, no, I haven't read the books. I'm like, well, that's why, because... Jack Reacher is six foot five and he's a big badass and Tom Cruise is four feet three. And, <laughs> and and here's the thing. I have to admit, Tom Cruise sort of pulls it off. He does. As a, he does. And I'm like, well, they could have got, I mean, who's the guy in Gladiator? Um, I forget his um, name. Uh, uh, Russell, Russell Crowe? Russell, yeah, Russell, Russell Crowe. Crow. Yeah. yeah. He could have he probably done that role better than Tom Cruise. But I think because Tom Cruise is such a big box office attraction, they're like, what the hell? We're going to make Jack Reacher small. So... <laughs> Well, they're trying to combat the Bourne series. Like I thought, that, I think they thought Tom Cruise was going to take that movie off, and I think what it did was it, it broke even, but it just wasn't good. Well, I think and it should have been because the books have been great. Like my parents love them, and like the, the books have done really well. I think yeah, people a lot of Hollywood now actually won't go out and use Tom Cruise in movies. Like there's a lot of talk about Tom Cruise as Iron Man, and that would have completely no, that would franchise that would have been terrible. Because Tom Cruise is invariably larger than any role he will ever play. That's why right. when you cast <laughs> Will Smith into something... It's hard. No, Will Smith works. But Will Smith is bigger than someone... Suicide Squad, which is actually a pretty good movie, but I remember someone yeah. quoting saying that Will Smith, Will Smithed all over the role, right? Oh, hell right. no. <laughs> and and he's, he's like Samuel Jackson, except Samuel can somehow pull this shit off. Right? Samuel's in everything. <laughs> it's like you, if you're gonna make a big movie franchise or something, Samuel needs to be in there. I think it's either him or Gary Oldman might be the all-time box office gross leader if you include every movie he's ever been in when you add them all up. So yeah, then again, yeah. the kids from the kids from Twilight also rank up there, which is pretty grotesque too. So, uh, so Jack Jack Reacher, you're going to Jack Reacher, yeah, series. Go read some yeah, Jack I love Reacher. I love the Jack Reacher series. Uh, Although I must say the last few books have been kind of, I'm like, ah, come on. I, I'm wondering if Lee Child is writing these last books or someone else. But I'm like, God, the original books were so great. I mean, if you get a chance to go through all the Jack Reacher series, they're, they are awesome books. Um, okay. And lastly, so we can end this on a, on a note of where can people find you well, online or just where's the best place to consume the stuff you put out there? I think uh, well, for I want I want people to be aware of the ISSN conference. Yeah. Um, the website's simple; it's issn.net. That's Easy. issn.net. Um, also, I can be found on Facebook under Jose Antonio and um, Twitter, of course, Jose Antonio PhD in Twitter, and then on Instagram. Uh, a lot of the stuff I post related to conference. Um, the Instagram name is the underscore issn. The issn. So I post a lot of science stuff on Twitter. You know what's funny about Twitter? Twitter is where people – there's a lot of pissed off people in Twitter. It's kind of funny. You can't – and you can't – if you get into arguments, they never end. So I never get in arguments on Twitter, but I'll read them. In fact, do you ever read Layton, Layton Norton oh, stuff on Twitter? Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, holy crap. He's like arguing with all these people. I'm like, that's going to take a lot of energy. But I read it because it's kind of funny. It's part um, of his character too, you know. right? He, he plays it up at this point. He's such a really awesome guy in person 
uh, a real genuine dude. So and it's like everybody who knows him says great things. And this is cool to have you on here because I've been hearing your name for a long time and following you for a while. But people always say kind things. People in our industry really like you and really respect you. So I hope our listeners will actually go and check out what you're doing. Anybody who likes these conferences, like I travel to a lot of them. We've got a whole bunch of local stuff coming up over the next several months. And uh, so I got my one in. I've probably done my international traveling for the year. We'll see. <laughs> but uh, it was on my list. It just I ended up with two in the last four weeks. So, Well, make sure you guys uh, plan on uh, next year in 2020. <laughs> Florida, Beach, Florida, ISSN, June 18 to 20. Ooh, next that's year. a good time. I think I'm going to make that happen. Well, we'll let you go. I know you got to run. Thank you so much for being on here. And hey, thank this, you, guys. We're releasing this one now. So I'm going to send you... We'll send you some links and, and the graphic, and if you want to post okay. them up, uh, do it whenever you want. Thanks so much. Okay. Chat soon. Hey, right. thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you, man. All right. Bye-bye. Shut up and sit down.